Okay, the story begins. <laughs> what is Tanya? It's the writings of, is it the Alter Rebbe? Yeah, the, the Alter Rebbe, as he's known, Rabbi Schneer Zalman, was the first Rebbe, the first leader of the Chabad Hasidic dynasty, he founded the Chabad movement. Um, about 220 years ago, and that's when he published his book, The Tanya, which is the foundation of the Chabad philosophy. It's important to remember <coughs> that Chabad is not just a corporate organization that does good things. That corporate organization that does good things is a reflection of an approach. The Chabad approach to Judaism, the, product, the Chabad approach to a relationship with God. Let's start with, let, let's start with the title page. We'll open up to page one. Or on, over there, page fourteen. What, what is it? Four four thousand. <laughs> yeah, that was on my. Uh, <laughs> oh, here it is. Acknowledgement. I'm getting there. Here, it's right after this. So, the history of the Tanya. Tanya has three names to it. There are three names to the book Tanya. Tanya is not the actual formal name. And we'll get, we'll soon see why we call it Tanya. But the first name of Tanya, he says right here in the first bold line, in his title, in the author's title page, by the way, the, the, the author's title page, and over here in our books, it's about three pages. In the original Hebrew Tanya, it's, it's one page, it's several lines, but there's so much to discuss on that title page alone. When I was in yeshiva, our rabbi was teaching us Tanya. We had two one-and-a-half-hour sessions just on the title page. Wow. <laughs> We're going to condense it into about 30 minutes. No? <laughs> okay. So he says... He's titling this book, Lukute Amarim, which means an anthology of teachings, a collection of teachings. So what the author is stating here, with this title, a collection of teachings, or an anthology of teachings, is that nothing in this book is original. He didn't make any of this stuff up. Tanya is a book of advice. It's a book of advice collected from ideas in the Talmud, ideas in the Zohar, ideas throughout the Bible, ideas throughout Kabbalah. It's a collection of ideas put into context to address specific and general issues. People were having challenges and issues in their relationship with God and their relationship to Judaism. And they would seek the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shner Zalman's counsel. So, so just to, to take a step back, how was the Hasidic movement founded? By, by it's founded by the Baal Shem Tov, Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov, lived in the town in Ukraine of Mezhubuz. And what happened was, you know, as we all know, there's 613 mitzvahs. It can get very technical. Judaism can get very technical. Did you wash your hands properly? Did you do it this way? Did you pour it three times? Did you say the right blessing? Did you wrap the tefillin this way? Did you do it that? It could get very technical. It could get very mechanical. You know, the, the academic side of, of Judaism. How much Torah do you know? Do you know this? It, it can be very 
what, what's the word I'm looking for? Very almost dry. And Judaism was becoming very competitive. And if you had money, and if you were fortunate enough to study Torah, you were praised. And if not, you know, there, there was basically extremes. You had people who knew nothing. You had people that knew everything. And, and, and Judaism became very competitive. And this was pretty much... Um... Russia, this was all going on. I mean, that's where these... Yeah, correct. I mean, in general, the world over, and, and you know, because of this, you know, right, this was all right before the, the times of the Baal Shem Tov, and this kind of started with the exile. You know, as soon as the temple was destructed, we're kicked out of Israel, everything goes downhill. Um, this was thousands, 1,800 years prior, but everything's a buildup. You know, there, there was the famous incident of Shabtai Tzvi. Are you familiar with that incident, Shabtai Tzvi? Shabtai Tzvi was a false messiah in, I believe, the 1600s. Am I getting it right? He was in the 1600s. He was a false messiah. He was a Kabbalist, and he was performing all sorts of miraculous things and, and basically brainwashed everybody and convinced everybody that Mashiach is, that he's the Mashiach, and he was doing all sorts of weird things. He had a marriage with a Torah. He did all these weird... You can look him up online. There's books on him. He ended up converting to Islam and, and going crazy. It was a very, it's, it's a very negative part of Jewish history. But Judaism was in a deep depression. Judaism was fainted. And the Baal Shem Tov came and said that we need to emphasize the soul of Judaism because we're getting so stuck in the mechanics. And the Baal Shem Tov didn't mean to, God forbid, make any of this at the expense of the mechanics of Judaism, because it's important, but that the body and soul of Judaism need to work in harmony. We can't just focus on the body, the observances. We have to focus on the soul, the passion, the love, the feelings behind it that motivate the observances. We have to blend body and soul together. And this Hasidic approach to Judaism didn't invent anything within Judaism, didn't take anything new. All it did was emphasize things that weren't emphasized so much in recent, as, a, as of recent in that time. Now, the Alter Rebbe was a follower of the Baal Shem Tov. And were other, I'm sorry, were there, were there other sects of Hasidic, Hasidic also followers of the Baal Shem Tov? Yes. And, so, then, then, and then it branched out. So, branched so, the, so the way it worked was the Baal Shem Tov, when the Baal Shem Tov passed away, he had a successor known as the Magid of Mezrich. The Magid literally means the preacher. He was Rabbi Dovber of Mezrich. And he had dozens and dozens of students. One of them was the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shner Zalman, the author of Tanya. There were many others. And he dispersed them, sent them out to teach these teachings, the Hasidic teachings. And each one of them had their own style. And the Alter Rebbe's style was the Chabad approach. Chabad is an acronym. Chabad is an acronym for? Chachma, Bina, and Da'at. And we're going we're gonna to elaborate on the, what these mean later on. Not today, but in future classes. Chachma means wisdom, understanding, knowledge. And his approach was a more intellectual approach to accessing the soul rather than an inspirational approach, which we'll, we'll soon discuss more about that. People would come to their Rebbe for counsel, for advice in their relationship with Hashem to develop the soul of Judaism. And the Tanya 
was a result of these counseling sessions. They weren't formal counseling sessions, um, you know, signing informed consent. And he wasn't a therapist. <laughs> wasn't his, that wasn't his job. But what happened was people would line up at seeking his advice. Eventually he got so popular, he had to get a secretary. And the secretary, you'd have to make an appointment with the secretary. This is about 200 and something years ago. 220 years ago-ish. You had to make an appointment with the secretary. Eventually you were limited to how many appointments you get per year. And there, it got to a point where there was this whole organized system. You could only come every several years and you have to, and it just got, the, the load got so large for him. There was just too many people wanting his advice. He got too popular too quickly. So he said, I have an idea. I'll write a book. I'll put it in the book. And instead of coming to me, everything I've told you, all of these counseling sessions, all of this advice in context to your relationship to God, it's all in this book. And as he says in the introduction, um, let's, we're going to jump to page 23. Good morning, how are you? No, no worries. Okay, we'll jump to page 23. The middle bold paragraph. So it's actually the third paragraph on the page. It's the middle bold, bold paragraph. All of the teachings collected here. This is the author's introduction to the book. He says, all of the teachings collected here are based on responses offered by me to the many requests for advice posed constantly by all the members of our community in the country, each at his own level, to seek advice for their souls in the worship of God, for time no longer permits me to answer each person's inquiry, inquiry individually. So the Tanya is basically a collection of responses a collection of advice. Um, where did he get this advice from? So that's why he titles the book, Lukute Amarim, an anthology, a collection of teachings, because everything he says is grounded, is sourced somewhere in Torah, in Talmud, in Kabbalah, somewhere. Okay. And he actually says later in the introduction, you don't need to come to me anymore. <laughs> you don't need to come to me for advice. This will replace it. It'll be just as good. And he says... How do you have time to write it all if he was busy counseling? Did he just kind of take a break? He had to, he had to sacrifice counseling people to write a book so they could counsel themselves. Sure. Judy, does that thing have... I, I think it'll allow you to look for a particular page. Oh, like a page search? Yes. Yeah, but it's not going to be the same page as in the yes, book. It will, it will convert it. If it's truly the same book... Oh, it, should be able to do the, it should be able to find the actual page. Very interesting. Not those, it'll find the page. What page are you on? So, well, right now we're back on page one. one but it, I think it should oh. be able to allow you to find. Because the, you have more pages yeah. per what they have here. So you may have three pages for every one page. Right, right, right. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I remember something about you have to go out to the settings and see if you can do it there. Okay, I'll, I'll do and that later. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks, uh, Marie. All right. Okay, so page two on our title cover here. If I just know the first three words of a paragraph, I'll get there. Oh, there we go. So the first three words, part one of Tanya. Part one, the it's, first e printed edition, that one. It's called, yeah, it's referred to as Sefer Shel Beninim. So the first title, the first name of the book is Lukute Amarim, a collection of sayings, a collection of teachings, because everything here is grounded. It's just advice it, uh, from the Torah put into a context that can answer our challenges and answer our problems. The second name of the book, the book of the Benoni, 
the book for in-betweeners. What does that mean? What's people doing neither, all evil or all good. Right, so those of us were kind of stuck in the middle, right? The Talmud discusses three classes of people, three levels. You have the tzaddik, the what? The tweeners. You have the tzaddik, which, is, which we'll discuss and elaborate more in Tanya what a tzaddik is in great detail. So you have the tzaddik, the righteous person. That's how it's literally translated. We'll soon see how these translations don't do justice. I never rely on translations. You have the rasha, which is translated as the wicked person. Again, that translation does not do justice, and we'll, we'll see why later on in future classes. And then you have the in-betweener. That translation does justice. <laughs> the in-betweener, the middle guy. This book, the goal of this book, is not to get us to be a tzaddik, to be perfect in our relationship with God. It's to get us to be a benuni, the middle. We're not shooting for the stars. We're recognizing our limitations. We're recognizing that we're human. We're recognizing that we're created with negative impulses. We're recognizing that we're, we may never be perfect. And we're recognizing that that perhaps is the goal. The goal is not to be a tzaddik. And we'll see why later in the book, why this is very important. It's important to be honest with ourselves. And one of the most important things in Tanya is vulnerability to ourselves. Not that we need to mention our sins to everybody, that's not the idea. But knowing ourselves honestly. Knowing ourselves honestly means recognizing our faults, but also recognizing the good things. But knowing our limitations. And having honest, realistic expectations. And that's why it's the book for the Bainini, the Alter Rebbe. The author actually wrote a book for Tzadikim. Sefer Shel Tzadikim, the book of the Tzadik. There was a great Tzadik known as the Shpala Zayda. The Shpala Zayda was one of the students of the Magid, as the Alter Rebbe was as well. So they were um, contemporaries. And he got, he was very disturbed by the publication of the book of the Tzadik. And he told the Alter Rebbe that the world is not ready for this publication. This is a bad idea. The Alter Rebbe did it anyways. And later on, not too far after, there was a fire in the Alter Rebbe's town. His house got on fire. Many of his manuscripts, his halachic manuscripts and many of his other manuscripts were destroyed, including the book of the Tzadikim. That same day, the Shpala Zayr had passed away. So it's kind of a mysterious story, but so the, book the point and is... And the, and the opposition passed away at the same time. So are there other versions <coughs> of the Tanya other than this in-betweeners version? Or? So, so he wrote the book. The, the Tanya is the book for in-betweeners. Oh, okay. That's who it's but, addressing. Okay. Or, or people who want to become in-betweeners. Okay. Is there a reason why he wrote a book? If there's sides, why do they need a book? That's a good question. I, I, I get what I would guess is if somebody mastered the Bainini part and has potential for more, then, then maybe they would need that manual. I mean, obviously the manual wasn't going to be useful, so it got burned. <laughs> I, I guess. It's a good question. It's a good question. So that's the second name of the book of Tanya. The third name of the book of Tanya, which she doesn't mention in the, in the title page, is Tanya. Why is it called Tanya? There's several reasons. The simple reason, if you look in chapter one, which we'll see next time, the book starts with the word Tanya. Which means what? Tanya means we taught. Whenever the, whenever the Talmud is quoting an earlier teaching from a previous generation, 
it uses the word tanya, we have taught or we have, we have learned. The Al Rebbe is similarly quoting a teaching from the Talmud, so he uses that word tanya, we have taught, which is a famous word that comes up in, the, in, in Talmud study. But there's a deeper reason why he used the word tanya. And just, it's important to know everything in the book of Tanya has significance to it. The Al-Tadeb records that he would, he was meticulous with every single letter in this book to the point that he would spend weeks and weeks, should he put this letter Vav in, should he not put this letter Vav in? Should it be there, should it not be there, and it's all important. And everything, so everything has, the syntax in Tanya, the, the word choices, everything has significance to it. What? Point to him or to who's reading it has a message to it, has significance to it. What language was it? Was it Tanya was written in Hebrew. Yeah, it was originally written in Hebrew. Tanya has the same letters as the word Eitan. What does Eitan mean? We're familiar with the word Eitan, right? Eitan is is strong, is strength. It's a name which means strength. The goal of Tanya, which we'll soon see, is to help us develop the soul of Judaism our souls, to work, develop a deeper sense of self so we're not just observing Judaism, but we're living Judaism. And the goal is ultimately, you know, there's many different layers to the soul, there's layers to the self, the word soul is an abstract word, but there's many different layers to the self, if you will. And the deepest part of the soul is referred to as the etan, the part of the soul which has no specific definition to it, no reason to connect to God other than the fact that it is just a piece of Him. So it's not just how I feel, it's not just how I think, just who I am. And it's a part of me that's very strong, very stable, very firm. We all have this certain part of us where maybe on an emotional level we have certain difficulties and challenges with our relationship to Judaism. Perhaps conceptually, intellectually, we have our challenges with certain parts of Judaism. We don't get this. We don't agree with it. But then there's a certain part of us which has no questions. It just is. It's just who we are. We are Jewish and we have this connection to Judaism and it's unshakable. It's Eitan. It's strong. When the Jewish people sinned by the golden calf, obviously God was quite furious, not happy. And Moses pleads with God, forgive them. And he gives them a reason. It's a weird reason. He says, Forgive them. Why? They are a stiff-necked nation. They are a stubborn nation. That's why we sinned. That's not a reason to forgive us. No? <laughs> why mention what we did wrong? Why mention our, our negative traits? Forgive them because they're stubborn anyways. <laughs> what? Moses, shh, don't mention that part. Say, forgive us because you're compassionate. Forgive us because what Moses was alluding to was not a negative stubbornness, but our soul stubbornness. We have this etan, we have this soul within us, which is stubborn, which is unshakable, unmovable. And God is saying, yes, they slipped because they weren't in touch with that soul, but that soul is there. Forgive them because they have it in them. And this is what we're going to access or at least be aware of, if not access it, through Tanya, through Hasidic teachings in general. Any questions? Thoughts, comments? Is that a Kabbalistic concept of the Eitan of the soul of the strength? Yeah. 
Yeah, so, so what, one thing in Tanya, Tanya has a lot of... Tan, Tanya is not Kabbalah, and it shouldn't be confused with Kabbalah, and Hasidic teachings aren't Kabbalah. It will quote ideas from Kabbalah, it will borrow terms from Kabbalah, just as it borrows terms from Talmud, borrows terms from Chumash, from the Torah, borrows terms from all over. And it's kind of, like you said, an anthology of texts, a collection of everything, blending it all together and putting it in, in, into a context that we can use to, in our relationship with God. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. Does he try, uh, my mom, my monodies is a guy to the perplexed? He, he quotes my monodies, yeah, all over the place. Okay. He, he quotes all, all over, all, all different sources. And, you know, what's interesting, and one of the amazing works with this translation, actually, this particular translation, the actual Hebrew text, he doesn't quote the sources. He just weaves in and often he'll quote a text from the Talmud or from Maimonides or from the Torah and he'll weave it in his language seamlessly. And if you're not familiar with that quote, you'll think it's his own language because he weaves it in seamlessly. But it's all source. And everything, in, in this book, they actually put the sources in parentheses. Was that done for a reason? Not sourced? Yeah, not identifying the source. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's unusual. In general, in Judaism, we try to be careful with identifying sources. You know who else does this? Rashi. In Rashi's commentary on the Torah, much of what he's saying is quoted, is quoted from the Midrash, from the Talmud, but he kind of weaves it in seamlessly and doesn't mention the quote. One of the explanations why that's okay, why it's okay to, not, you know, to plagiarize, if you will, is because when you connect to an idea, you make it yours. Also, but if he's quoting something, but he's also explaining it, so do you really have to then... Yeah, exa exactly. In other words, he's making it yeah, his... He's identifying his, a statement, but then explaining the statement. Exactly. You know what they say when you, when you um, copy from one person, it's called plagiarism. When you copy from many people, it's called research. <laughs> <laughs> Are there some versions of Tanya that is like that maybe you studied from that's volumes opposed to one book? So, yeah, good question. There's actually a ton of different... Well, there's a book, there's one of these books that have three, three in one. So there's different, yeah. There's, it's about this thick. There's different commentaries on Tanya. Yeah. The, the one that I use to prepare for classes and that I, that I enjoy using is, they don't have it on the whole Tanya yet, it's still in the making. And it's, the first volume is chapters one through eight. Oh, okay. <laughs> the second volume is chapters... 9 through 17. So the commentaries are much more extensive. Because it brings sources, it gives context. Because right. Tanya is a little cryptic. Okay. You know, if, if you were to get a raw translation, you know, over here he kind of weaves in a, an explanation, but if you were just to get a raw translation, it would be difficult to appreciate it in its full glory. So, different question. So when you study Tanya, the book that you used was far more complex than this book? In its explanations? Yeah, far more elaborate. So we're, at, we're at the lowest level of understanding. <laughs> no. no, I'm saying, you know, it's probably still difficult. I haven't started reading it, but. Um, I would say you're at the. Far more complex reading the ones that you read. I would say lower understanding. I would say more si sticking to the message yeah. of Tanya. Yeah. Sticking but, it to the... simpler, but it's a simpler <clears throat> explanation of Tanya. Yeah, yeah, correct. Okay. Yeah, you know, there, there's different, there are different layers of Tanya. Beginner students. Yes. The, okay. Yeah, the, but I'll be honest, I, I, I love this translation. I'm, I'm not familiar with too many different translations, but I really, we have another Tanya club with another group, and we use this, and, 
I really, when I was at the Kinnas Hashluchim, the, the Chabad conference, Chabad rabbinical conference a couple months ago, so I'm at the banquet, and you're in this huge room with 5,000 rabbis at the banquet, and it could be very overwhelming. And you see, you know, you walk around, and you see people you know. I recognize the, the translator and, and author of this commentary. I see him. I'm like, oh, you have a good book. <laughs> we chatted for a few minutes. I just wanted to know, like, you know, you're sitting there in your office writing. You don't know what the impact that you're having. But <laughs> wow. Okay. So we're on the bottom of page two. One of the things that's most interesting about this book, about Tanya, the entire book of Tanya is an explanation on one verse in Torah. This entire thick book is explaining one verse. The, the, the second to last paragraph here, part one of this book is based on the verse for the body of commandments. You know what we'll do? Before reading inside here, I actually printed out the, the entire context of where this verse appears in Torah, and I think it'll make things more clear. So let's take a look at our sheets here. On our sheets here, text one. We're going to be quoting four different verses. This is from Deuteronomy. Parshat Nitzavim, the parsha that is read um, the Shabbat before Rosh Hashanah. Moses is... Kind of, you know, the whole Deuteronomy is like one big sermon. And at this point, Moses is getting ready to pass on. And he's trying to motivate the Jewish people to hold strong. And he says, For this commandment, which I command you this day, is not concealed from you, nor is it far away. It is not in heaven that you should say who will go up to the he heaven for us and fetch it for us, to tell it to us so that we can fulfill it. So this commandment, this matter, this thing, which we'll soon see what that means, it's not concealed, it's not in heaven, Judaism's not an out-of-body experience, we don't have to go on to a mountain in whatever and meditate, that's not where we find it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say who will cross to the other side of the sea for us and fetch it for us to tell it to us so that we can fulfill it. This is the key verse here, what we're about to read, this is the foundation of Tanya. Tanya's explaining this verse, the whole book. Rather, this thing is very close to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can fulfill it. This thing is very close to you, in your heart. The entire Tanya is trying to explain what that means. Now, first of all, what does this thing mean? This, this, your ability to connect with God. Your ability to connect with God. In a more specific context, actually, if you look on the commentaries on the Torah there is a debate what this verse, what this word thing refers to. Because again, Torah is also pretty cryptic. And there's a lot of commentaries and a lot of explanations. This thing is very close. What does that mean? Opinion number one, it refers to the commandment of teshuva. Repentance, returning to God. Opinion number two, it refers to, the, it refers to Torah and mitzvahs, Jewish life in general relationship with God, the, the observance of mitzvahs in general. So, this thing is very close to you. Observing mitzvahs is close in our mouth, in our heart. An emotional connection to God is very close to us. Now, this section of Tanya is addressing the opinion that maintains that this thing is referring to mitzvahs or to general Judaism. 
the opinion that maintains that it's referring to teshuva, the Altar Rebbe has a separate section of Tanya to address that. So, so there's a se- the third book, Tanya has five volumes to it. This is the first volume. The third volume of Tanya, as we've called, is called Igeret HaTeshuva, a letter on Teshuva on repentance. And that section of Tanya is addressing the opinion that this thing refers to Teshuva. But this section is ta- of Tanya is referring to, uh, um, addressing the opinion that maintains its Torah and mitzvahs, Jewish life, observance in general. But not all forms, all levels of Judaism believe in that. More, more mitzvahs on earth, right? Some of, some of the chassids um, believe differently. It's a little Babbage thing that we that, that mitzvahs are on earth? Yeah, versus, you know, waiting to get to heaven. Okay, so, so okay. You are getting into a deep I know, uh, but, debate but amongst but the Kabbalists. I know, but, yeah, but, but, I'm, but I'm seeing this Good question. Part, but, I'm, but I see this part right here when it's talking that it's very close to you. Um, and they're talking about here and now. Everybody agrees. There, there could be variances in philosophy, but everybody agrees that mitzvahs are done on this world. And that there is a in-body relationship with God. Now, whether you're going to go to heaven or whether the goal is to ultimately be on earth, good question. But everybody agrees, in terms of living in the present, you put on that the way we connect to God is not by going on a mountain and meditating and feeling good about God, but is actually doing the observances. Now, how do we do these observances with passion? And what the Altar Rebbe says, so we defined what this thing means, what the matter means. He translates it as the matter is very close, which is a better translation maybe, but... The whole book is here to explain how it's close in our heart. How, because, you know, to connect to God physically, on a physical level, we know what to do. We have the code of Jewish law, we have the Shulchan Aruch, we have the laws, we know this is how you light Shabbat candles. This is how you make a Shabbat meal, this is how you make Kiddush, this is how you pray, this is how you do this, this is how you blow the shofar, we know what to do. We know that already, right? What we want to know is how we can infuse that with passion, infuse that with love, so that our relationship with God is more wholesome. If you look in the Torah, Parsha Truma. Truma is the Parsha, is the, is the portion in the Torah that deals with the donations to the tabernacle, the temporary home that houses God. And the Talmud says, just as there is a God dwell, God resides in his tabernacle, in his home at large. He also lo- resides in his small home, each and every one of us. When he says, make me a temple and I'll dwell in them. Doesn't say in it, in them. And the Talmud deduces from there that he's referring to them, everybody who dwells within all of us. And the, ta- and the Torah says, Vaik, God says in the Torah, teruma, take for me donations. Everybody has to contribute towards this house of God. Me'et kol ish, from each person. The Magid of Mezrich, the Alter Rebbe is the author of the Tanya's teacher, takes the words me'et kol ish, loosely translated and commonly translated as from each person. He translates it literally from the whole person. Me'et kol ish, from the whole person, from all of the person. When we're donating to God and making ourselves a house for Him, it has to be the whole person not just our behavior, but our inner selves as well, our passion. 
It has to be a wholesome, if you will, a holistic experience. Judaism is a, not just a body observance, but it's a soul of passion, and, and it's really both. And, and, and it's, a, it's a balance between body and soul. But this would go under a psychological concept of the value of the, or the worth of the individual. And each individual has to feel their own worth before you can, can have a worth that you're worthy of taking or worthy of giving. Of, of, of course. Right, so you, the psychological on it is, is the human worth. Okay, good point. Good point. If you could do me a favor. Yes. If you can circle that concept and please bring it up next week. Because okay. chapter oh, one... Sure. Chapter one brings up that idea. That, that's how the Tanya starts. You're jumping ahead. Somebody read ahead. No. No, I didn't. No, very, very valid point, very good point, and, and I appreciate you mentioning that. And if you could please... I have it for next Okay, week. so you have it next week. Be prepared. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Judaism is a holistic experience. What happens, by the way, just on a functional level, on a practical level, what happens if Judaism, if we don't have the soul connection, the passion, we just have the observances. We function like robots, but in reality we're not robots. It creates a lot of inner tension. So imagine you have a rubber band. By the way, when I was teaching this analogy in, in one of my other classes, so I said, imagine you have a rubber band. I'm like, I wish I had a rubber band. A lady at the class pulls out a rubber band from her purse. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> Pulls out a rubber band like, this is perfect. We, brought the pr we have our props here. So imagine you have a rubber band. One side of the rubber band is your outer self, your behavior. The other side of the rubber band will represent your inner self, your emotions, your passion, your thoughts. Now, I'm growing in my Jewish observance. I'm starting to celebrate Shabbat more. I'm starting to do more charity. I'm starting to do, there's so many starting points, so many examples. We all have our own areas where we can grow, right? We're growing and growing in our Jewish observance. But it's not me. I'm just doing it. So what happens? There's tension. There's tension in this rubber band. And if I keep going, what's going to happen? Right? I'm going to either snap or I'm going to slowly withdraw, fall, fall back. So there's, there's two options. We can lower our expectations and say, maybe observances weren't meant to be this challenging. Let's create a new narrative. <laughs> but another way to do it is let's raise the inside. Let's develop the soul. Let's develop more passion. Let's make it me, because deep down inside it is. In passion in general? Passion in, 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 towards this... Towards this Towards the, these the whole approach? Yeah. And what that does, the more passionate we are about our Judaism, it won't be a burden. It actually ends up being more motivating. There's a, there's a, the Talmud says, and he actually mentions this later on in chapter 33 of Tanya, that there was the prophet Chavakuk, probably one of the lesser well-known prophets. You know, we all heard of Isaiah and, and of Jeremiah and stuff, but there was the prophet Chavakuk, and he says, God, there's so many mitzvahs, 613 mitzvahs, it could be very, and, and each one has how many laws and, observant and, and, and instructions, it's a lot to keep track of, it could be very burden, burdening, it could be, you know, it's a heavy load, so he said, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to narrow them down all to one mitzvah, 
If we can access this one mitzvah, we have them all. That one mitzvah was faith. Because if we have faith, faith meaning developing this inner connection, this inner passion, and, and, and working on our soul connection, which was the source of our faith, so now it's not a burden anymore, it's a pleasure. Well, I still, I mean, talking about the rubber band analogy, I still have the struggle, and it was very interesting, on lighting Shabbat candles on time, opposed to, well, I'm just, you know, oh, I'm, I'm not going to light it, to try to bring it more, you know, closer to God, to light Shabbat candles on time, you know, it's that, that to me was an inner, is okay. an inner Okay, beautiful like, analogy. So developing more passion, more passion about Shabbat about makes Shabbat. it less. Just, oh, you know, oops, too late, oh well, or, you know, or making it a point that I'm going to light Shabbat candles on time. And it's still a struggle. I still don't do that every week. So, good, good. So that's, that's the in-betweener. In other words, we're going to develop this passion. We're not going to be perfect. Now we'll define what perfect means, what in between means, what passion. We'll define what all these things mean, and we'll clarify. But good, very great example. I'll tell you a story. A number of years ago, about about seven years ago, six years ago, I don't know. I was in yeshiva in Florida. It was a yeshiva for our beginners, for people that didn't grow up with a Jewish formal Jewish education and wanted to start exploring their Judaism. There, was, there were ages between 18 to 30. And I was there as like with a group of classmates. And we were there kind of like student teachers, you know, there to bring more oomph and, you know, to study with them. And, and everybody had their own story. It was a very interesting year. Everybody had their own journey, how they ended up there. And there was this one guy, we're actually still in touch today, my friend Matthew, he grew up in Los Angeles. He was raised as a Christian. He didn't know he was Jewish until age 18. At age 13, he left Christianity. I may have told some of you this story. No, no, he was. But there is a guy that was raised a Christian. There's there a guy here? So he was, he was age, age 13. He decided Christianity is not for him. He said, I don't need religion. I just want to... Connect with God. That was his thing. Um, he was very much part of the gangs in Los Angeles. He was, in, he was a gang member. He has covered in tattoos. He has, he's got ink. He has a prolific, extensive vocabulary. Written on him. Written on him, and that's the way he talks. And not, not because he wants to. That's the vernacular he is. That's just what he knows. That's who he is. Yeah. But now he lives... So, so I'll tell you soon, he, at 18, at 20 years old, so, sorry, at 18 years old, he says, I'm leaving the gang, moves to Las Vegas, and he starts his life. He gets a job as uh, working for some sort of pizza delivery. At age 24, which is when I met him, his mom, who was adopted, never met her birth parents, calls him and says, Matthew, I got news for you, we're Jewish. He says, <laughs> what? <laughs> he says, we're Jewish. He says, what does that mean? She says, I have no idea. She says, well, what are you talking about? We've never been to Israel. He doesn't know what Judaism is. Yeah. She says, you know, I never knew my birth parents. I just got a packet in the mail. Her, she had a, a tumor. And thank God, 
is my knowledge. His, his birth mother had a tumor, but she was adopted. So the adopt, adoption agency thought her time was coming near. They said, we're going to tell you who your real parents were. They sent her a whole packet of her genealogy. She finds out that her parents were Jewish. She finds out that her grandparents were rabbis in Chicago. And that her she says, I don't know what this means. She was living in Oregon at the time. She Googles, rabbi near me. Chabad comes up. She has a meeting with the Chabad rabbi. And he's explaining to her what Judaism is, what it means that she is Jewish. He has her, she has her son listening in on the phone. She says, Judaism, and he's explaining that Judaism is not, you know, I've been to Israel and I'm doing observances and therefore I, I, I identify with this religion. Judaism is an inner soul identification. It's who you are. And it's expressed in what you, you know, the whole shebang. Yeah. And he's just amazed because he's kind of been, he felt like he's been feeling this. In the meantime, he's living in Vegas. He has to get a new car. He totaled his car. He's at the car dealership. And we know how it, we all know what it's like haggling for a new car. No fun, right? Um, back and forth, he, end, he says, you know, forget it. I'm out of here. <laughs> he says to the car salesman, by the way, I notice you have an accent. Where are you from? He says, Israel. He says, so you're Jewish? He says, yeah. He says, I just found out today I was Jewish. He says, come to my office. Comes to his office. The car salesman gives him his kippah. He says, take this. He says, I want to hook you up with my rabbi. He hooks him up with his Chabad rabbi. Walks out with a car. <laughs> <laughs> this is a true story. He walks out with a car. His mother Googled rabbi in Vegas for his son. Contacts a random rabbi, the same rabbi that the car salesman contacted <laughs> about this guy. He gets in touch with the rabbi. Within a matter of weeks, he reads, teaches himself to read Hebrew. Oh my gosh. Not well, but... Now, this is a guy who dropped out of school at seventh grade and joined a gang. Wow. But he teaches himself the Hebrew letters and to, to not proficiently reading, but to, to... The rabbi says after several months, like, look, you need a lot more than what I can offer you. You've got to go full-time to yeshiva. He says, great, what's yeshiva? <laughs> he drops everything, comes to us in Florida. Now, he's not just like, I'm Jewish, I'm just going to do everything. He was challenging. And he was scary, and we would fight, we would debate, we would argue until he finally got it, and then he was so passionate about it. Now he's living in Israel. He went on a birthright trip. He was sold. He actually just got married um, this past summer. In, in, now he, he tells me on the phone, he's working for a security company in Tel Aviv. And he's walking around with his kippah, his tzitzit, and one of his Israeli friends or co-workers come up to him and says, Kippa, tzitzit, you're religious? He says, no. He says, you're not religious? He says, no. So he says, why are you wearing kippa, tzitzit? You're identifying like a religious guy. He says, I also observe Shabbat. I keep kosher. And I put on tefillin every day. But I'm not religious. So he says, why would you do all these things? Why would you do this to yourself? He says, I'm, look, I'm not religious. I'm just, I'm in love with God. I'm in a deep love with God. I get to do these things. I get to share this relationship. He was so passionate. It wasn't 613 burdens. It was all one relationship, 613 ways to express it. And what the Tanya is coming to show us is this verse, how this thing is very close. To develop for Judaism not to be a burden, but to be a relationship is very close. 
Now, what does close mean? The Hebrew word is karov. What does close mean? I think it's really important to, to point out that close does not mean easy. Obtainable. Right? Within reach. Doable. Not easy. In fact, it's probably very hard. <laughs> By probably, I mean it's very hard. It's not going to be easy. It's just going to be very much within reach. And what the Al-Tadeb is saying now, if we look in the context of these verses, where do we look? Don't look in the heavens. Don't cross the sea. Where we're going to look is within ourselves. And what we're going to do in great detail is understand the soul structure based on different teachings from Kabbalah and from the Talmud and from the place, understanding the soul structure, understanding the different soul divides, understanding who we are, and kind of cognitively structured, understanding our cognitive and spiritual structure and to understand how to access that soul. Um, and it's not a black and white formula necessarily, but we'll, we'll take it as it comes. It's important that we, where we search is within. And I'll tell you another story. A couple of years ago, about this goes back about seven years ago. I was in yeshiva in Brooklyn, New York. It was Hanukkah time. I was flying home for Hanukkah to visit my parents. I'm at JFK. I'm praying Mincha, the afternoon service, in my little corner there. And I put down my sitter, I look up, and there's this guy standing over me. He is as tall as he was, as, as he was wide, standing over me, long, silvery hair, earrings, he had ink, covered in tattoos, he's looking down at me, I'm this little guy, <laughs> he says, excuse me, are you Chabad? I said, yes, <laughs> he says, I thought so. Okay, <laughs> that's my first thing that comes out of my mouth. Would you like to put on tefillin? Shot out of my mouth. Would you like to put on tefillin today? He says, sure. Did you know he was Jewish at this point? No, I kind of just assumed. Right. We put on, we go to, off to the corner, we put on tefillin together, we say the Shema, we say the prayer, and he says, thank you. He says, I'll tell you my story. I was born to a Jewish family. My mother's Jewish, my father's Jewish. We were raised with many of the traditions, but I chose a different path and I'm no longer Jewish. I'm Buddhist. His name was David. He says, I'm, I'm a Buddhist. And I've studied Buddhism for many years and that's what I identify with. I've traveled to India, I've traveled and hiked and backpacked in Asia and I've been to all these different spiritual temples and things and, and, and this is my truth and this is who I am. He says, but, you know, I, I surf the web a lot. He says, on YouTube, I came across talks of the Lubavitcher Rebbe and live video footage, watching his talks and watching the singing that happens in 770 and the whole vibe. He just came across it on YouTube. He says, every night I watch a video from the Rebbe and it inspires me and I enjoy it. So if one of his men are going to ask me to put on tefillin, I'm not saying no. But I'm not Jewish. <coughs> I don't identify with Judaism. I'm Buddhist. I said, David, I got news for you. You think you're Buddhist, but you're Jewish. <laughs> he says, no, I'm not. I said, no, you're, you're Jewish. This is who you are. Maybe you don't practice it. Maybe you don't always observe it. Maybe you feel 
that you're not Jewish, but you are Jewish, you can't change that. It just doesn't work. He says, I've been studying Buddhism for, I think he said, 24 years. I said, Hi. I says, so, you know, that's my identity. I said, how long have you been studying Judaism for? Silent. Good point. That's what he says. I said, okay, so you happen to know more about Buddhism than you do Judaism. That doesn't mean you're Buddhist and not Jewish. It just means you don't know about, Ju you don't know about who you are. It, it wasn't a debate. It was a discussion. It was very open. And, and we both get on the plane. We happen to be on the same flight. We exchange phone numbers. And he says, let's be in touch. We were supposed to study. In, in, he lived in Brooklyn also. I said, we'll study once a week. Never ended up happening. But he did call me the next morning or the next day after the afternoon. I get a call from him. He says, Josh, I just want you to know that you've inspired me. Thank you. Hang up, never hear from him again. I try calling him back. Apparently got a new number, which was a wise move if he wanted to get away from me. No. <laughs> he gets a new number, I guess, and I, I couldn't get in touch with him. Two years later, the Jewish educational media, which is known as GEM, which is the, the, it's the video producers that put out and edit the videos of the Rebbe and, and these different videos, they edit them. And they were doing a fundraising campaign and they had a promo video, little clips of people who were inspired by the videos. And I'm watching their promo video with no intention to donate. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm watching their promo video and they're interviewing my friend David. And David says, I've been watching these videos and I've gotten in touch with my roots and I'm more in touch with my Judaism and I'm practicing Judaism. Oh. <laughs> And what, the reason why I mentioned this story is because where was David looking? He thought that this thing was very distant and that he needs to go to Asia, Africa, and India to find it. And he was looking everywhere. And he forgot to look in one place. Yeah. Inside. inside, within himself. And the Tanya is the manual to help us look inside, to help us look within ourselves, to help us find it within and it's going to give us very practical tools. And the way he says he's going to do this, it's going to be very methodical. Let's take a look on page three. Page three, the second paragraph, it's the first bold paragraph. What we're going to clarify is how authentic worship, authentic meaning body and soul, not just passion, not just observance, but blending them together, is very much within reach in a long but short way. It's in the long, short way as opposed to the short, long way. What is the long, short way? So there's a story in the Talmud. Rabbi Yehoshua, Rabbi Joshua, one of the sages of the Talmud was walking, and he's looking for a particular city. He gets lost. He sees a child, and he says, excuse me, do you know where I could find this city? So the child says, well, there's the short, he was a sophisticated kid. He says, well, there's the short, long way, and there's the long, short way. He says, well, get me the short, long way. I want to get there quickly. Tells him the short, long way. He quickly gets to the city, but he can't get in. It's blocked by a huge wall and, and trees. And he comes back to the kid. He says, you didn't really get me into the city. You got me near the city. You got me to the city, but you didn't get me in the city. He says, well, you asked for the short, long way. You got you there quickly, but to actually get in is long. So he says, okay, give me the long, short way. He gives them this huge roundabout path to get in. It takes a long time, but once he gets there, he's in. And what the author Rebbe, what the author of Tanya is trying to do with our relationship with God, with our soul, is show us the long, short way, not the short, long way. The short, long way would be inspiration. 
but it doesn't come within. It doesn't get in. Right? Inspiration, easy come, easy go. The long, short way is information. Information goes into the mind. It's processed within the heart. And it takes time to understand. It takes time to agree with. It takes time to implement. But when we do, it's really part of who we are. And that's why it's not the long, short way. The short, long way, sorry. It's the long, short way. Yeah, it's going over the mountain or around the mountain. Yeah, exactly, exactly. In, in classic Hasidic Judaism... What you see, it's also the soul and inspiration of Judaism, but it's not in a methodical, informational way. It's more in an inspirational way. Hasidic communities, not in Chabad so much, they're very insular. Right? Keeping that insular environment creates a certain vibe. And when I'm in that, when I'm in that environment, I feel the vibe. Right? And I feel inspired. And when I'm in a room with thousands and thousands of like-minded people and in a community with hundreds and thousands of like-minded people and we're all living this life together. It's a beautiful thing, it's an important thing, but it's the short, long way because you're inspired. But does it actually become part of you? Were you to leave that community, would you be able to retain that inspiration? I can tell you no because I have gone to Crown Heights for numerous kinnis and the inspiration is overwhelming while I'm there and I have all these thoughts and I'm going to buy all these books and I'm going to um, read uh, Psalms and you know and then I come home and I have all these new books that I bought and then I come sitting home. on the shelf <laughs> so, so that's why the Chabad approach Chabad we said is an acronym for wisdom understanding knowledge it's information that we process, it's not just inspiration that we experience, so it becomes part of us. And that's why he actually put it in a book. One of the reasons why he put it in a book. Inspiration fosters dependence. Inspiration fosters independence. Sorry, inspiration fosters dependence. Information fosters independence. And it's the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. What's the difference between the two? A thermometer... Registers and one controls. Yeah, one will display... The temperature of the room, one will control the temperature of the room. And what we're going to do is not display our inspiration. Our inspiration is not going to be situational. It's going to be essential. It's not going to be because, because of where we find ourselves. It's going to be because of who we are. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, the chief rabbi, or the former chief rabbi of Britain, of Great Britain, when he began his, Judea, his journey towards Judaism, he wasn't always so on the path of a rabbi. Yeah, he came to the United States touring, took a break from, I think he was in Oxford yes. University? Yep. Yep. He was in Oxford University, came to the United States on a tour, and one of the main attractions was, there's a great rabbi, let's check him out. Yeah. And Rabbi Sachs is a very big intellectual, he had a bunch of questions for the rabbi. And he sets up a meeting for the Rebbe, and all of a sudden he's being interrogated. He says, I'm sp he says <laughs> I, you know, I came with a bunch of questions, and he's asking me all the questions. And, he, and the Rebbe asks him, what are you doing for the Jewish community in Oxford? He had no intention of being any community leader. So he wanted to be respectful, not say nothing. <laughs> he said, well, the situation where I find myself, the Rebbe cuts him off. He says, we don't find ourselves in situations, we put ourselves in situations. You're in a position to inspire Jews, to lead Jews, and you need to put yourself in that situation. 
And that's when he began his path toward becoming a rabbi. He's not a Chabad rabbi, but that's where he began his... But, it, but, it, but, he's following, but he's bringing Jews closer and inspiring Jews. It's the difference between getting a fur coat and building a fire. Getting a coat when it's cold outside is very easy. Building a fire takes a long time, but it, it creates the environment. It ju- it's not just... And I'll show you, we'll, we'll, let's take a look here on our text number five. Text number five on our books, on our sheets here. It's the last one. Hayom Yom is a little pocket book authored by the Lubavitch Rebbe, and it's kind of like a dose of inspiration for every single day of the year. Or sometimes a dose of information, I should say, for every day of the year. So for the 30th of Adar, he says, quotes his father, my father said that what is a chassid? A chassid creates an environment, not reacts to it, right? Through inspiration means I'm reacting to the, the circumstances. Information enables me to create the inspiration within and create the environment. If he does not, he had better check his own baggage carefully to see whether his own affairs are done in order. The very fact that he fails to create an environment should make him as broken as a splinter. He must demand himself, what am I doing in this world? You have thousands and thousands of Chabad rabbis who will leave their inspirational community and they're able to go to very foreign places where Judaism may seem very desolate and they're able to bring the inspiration, warmth and fire of Judaism there. Why? Because there's the tools here to create inspiration within rather than just the tendency to react to it. Now, to what extent now what information again gives us independence and just an insight that i wanted to share and we'll conclude with this um, on text two and three here in our sheets aaron is commanded to ignite the menorah in the holy temple this is in the torah and numbers to ignite the the candelabra the menorah and he says when you light the lamps now rashi points out that it uses the word baha'alotcha it doesn't say when you light or when you ignite. It says when you cause the flames to ascend. Which is a weird, you know, usually you say light the fire, not cause flames to ascend. What time are we causing the Shabbat flames to ascend? You know, nobody says that. We say what time is candle lighting? Why does it say cause flames to ascend? Rashi points out in text three that Aaron had to hold the fire there until not that there was a spark, but until the fire went up all the way. When we're inspiring others, when we're inspiring ourselves, it's not enough just to get a spark of inspiration, but there has to be an independent flame that is flared up all the way independently. And the Tanya is going to give us these tools. It's going to be the short, long way, because it's informational, not inspirational. Perhaps instructional as well. And with this, we will develop the passion of Judaism, the soul of Judaism, blend the body and soul together my story and I'm sticking to it. Okay. Thank you. Very good. Very good.